are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Welcome to the Dressage Today podcast, sponsored by Wellness Ready. In today's episode, we will be talking to Ellie Brimmer, a paradressage rider who was recently voted onto the board of directors of the USEF. But to start, we wanted to share a little bit about our own recent adventures with our horses. Aviva, why don't you start with Tiger? Okay, well, you know, I keep saying that I'm going to show him pre-St. George, and he's really not getting strong enough to do the pre-St. George. And I'm not really even sure I want to get into the show ring, but somehow I signed up for a fix a test. There you go. <laughs> and so I had to go. So I decided to make life, you know, quote, easy for myself. And I decided to ride fourth level test one. Um, and it went better than I expected. <laughs> um, it, I, I made two really huge mistakes and with a one on a t- double coefficient movement oh and a four <laughs> on a double coefficient movement, I still managed to score a 61%, which was hey. really exciting. Yeah. Um, but it was really educational for me because I ride in, you know, it's winter here. So I'm riding in my indoor arena, which is a 20 by 40 meter arena. So I kind of accommodate fourth level tests in that Mm -hmm. ring it's a little tough to ride some of it and because i've been riding it in that ring some of the stuff that was tough was much easier like the half pass trot zigzag sure was really easy to do in the (laughs) ring what was really hard to do which surprised me one of the last movements of the test is that you go across the diagonal and you do three changes on the quarter line center line and quarter line you know they're not um counted changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you do three changes in a small ring on a 17 hand horse with a really big canter, even in collection, the minute you come out of the corner, you start to prepare for an immediate change. Mm-hmm. And when you do that in a big ring, you have a whole lot more time. <laughs> yes. That was not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> So actually, the first time I tried, um, it wasn't going to happen. So I made a circle and I started over again. And second time I tried, I still wasn't prepared. So I started over. The third time I did what my goal had been, which was to ride a beautiful line of fours, you know, ride three fours, which was perfect and beautiful, except again, I'm really not used to riding in a big ring. So I made a beautiful line from K to R as opposed to K to M. So the moral of the story is my horse is a rock star and I love him (laughs) and he handled everything so well. Um, I'm a little bit of an idiot um, and I'm not sure that I really like showing. Yeah. So I'm 
really busy for the next few months doing lots of clinics and, and judging lots of shows. And I don't know how much room I have in my schedule to show. And if I can find somewhere to go or maybe do a couple of schooling shows, I will. But I'm going to take the pressure off. Yeah. And just enjoy the riding. There you go. So, yeah. So I think it's important to ride tests, but I don't know that it's always important to show. Although it was, as I said, very eye-opening to see how much, where I lost and what right. I lost. Right. Um, so anyway, so that's my story. But I, <laughs> I understand that you took your other Mary Lily to a schooling show. I did. How did that go? Well, it's um, kind of like you. I, I made it easy because now Lily is eight this year. Um, and for a little bit of background, because we haven't talked too much about Lily. Uh, she's eight. She's an Arabian. I bred her and she actually was a racehorse. She raced out in California as a four year old and did very badly. So yay, yay! Now she uh, she doesn't doesn't have she doesn't have the attitude to be a racehorse. Definitely not. But anyway, but then it took probably about two years. She had she had a vitamin E deficiency, um, so we fixed that. And she was never actually lame, but she wasn't right. She wasn't right behind. So, yeah. you know, and I had lots of tests done on her and stuff, and and nothing really specific. She had lots of x-rays done. So other than the vitamin E deficiency. So we addressed that and um, just kind of took a long time to sort of get her right. And she still can be a tight behind and she's still not as strong behind as she needs to be. But she's my point being is she she took a long time. You know, she's now eight. Yeah. She's, yeah. She took a long time to kind of get there. And plus, <laughs> Poor thing. I ride her like once a week, once every two weeks, something like that. So it's not like she's in heavy work. Yeah. Um, but I, I did just interject for, yeah. for those for those listeners who don't know, vitamin E is what helps muscles and nerves yes. talk to each other. So yes. a vitamin E deficiency in a horse is a really, really big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good. Good for you to point that out. And yeah. um, I mean, I lost my Freddie to a vitamin E deficiency. And yeah, it's bad. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but but fortunately, it's very easily solved um, <laughs> if you catch it fast enough. Yeah. 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 And she's on, you know, and, and vitamin E supplements are not terribly expensive, fortunately. And she's still on it because I asked the vet. I was like, well, should I take her off? He goes, no, nah, I just leave her on. And, you know, yeah. it's not going to that's not going to hurt. And I said, oh, OK, so she's yep. still on it. But they, they pee it out if they don't need it. Right. Yeah. So it's um, so. I haven't done a whole lot of work with her is kind of the, you know, long story short, <laughs> but there was a little schooling show. And so I thought, sure, I'll take her now. But I took the pressure off myself, kind of like you did. And mm -hmm. instead of doing a training level test, I did an intro. I was like, you know, I'm going to just make this easy because this was also going to be the first time I ever rode her off the property. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'm just going to. Make it Make a little it fun. bit easier. Yes. Yep. So, um, and I'm kind of glad I did because the day of the show was in the 50s, which is cold in Florida. Yeah. And 20 mile per hour winds constantly. Uh -huh. 
And it would rain, it would stop, it would rain, it would stop. So it was, and this was outdoors, of course. Um, So it was not the most pleasant day, weather-wise. Well, more power to you for going. uh, Well, you know what? There was a a group of us that went, you know, because I already, I was already telling myself, I'm like, if I was going by myself, I would totally scratch. (laughs) And we were all saying that in the morning. We're all like, why are we doing this? But um, as it turned out, we all had a good day. And Lily was absolutely fabulous she was so rock solid she only spooked once when the wind broke a tree branch next to her and it fell like next to her i know so that was legit legit. that was legit um she was a little tense you know but hey she didn't put a foot wrong and she tried that's the thing i love about this this horse is she she wants so badly to be a good girl and she tries so hard so she went into this arena you know first time away from home she had she went around and she did her intro level test and she won the class with a 69. Oh my God. I oh know. My God. Yeah. That's so, wonderful. Yeah. So, I mean, the judge was very kind, but it was the kind of schooling show, as you well know, because you, I think, judge quite a few of them where the judge needs to be kind. You know, these are the the people, it, it behooves them to be a little bit kind because these are a lot of people who are like just starting out or there are lots of kids or, you know. It 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 was a very casual schooling show, but still, but still that's you still, won. I mean, I, that's you, the that's the I thing. Know. The score isn't really what matters. It was that yeah. you know, your the judge thought you were the best intro ride of the day. <laughs> so <laughs> I was very very proud of her, and she stood tied to the trailer and ate her hay, and she you know she just acted like a. Um, you know, a much more like a seasoned show horse, which is the one good thing that usually comes out of being an ex race horse, is that they yes. usually are pretty good about stuff going on. Um, and she definitely showed that. You know, she just hung out. She she was a little worried when I took her back to the trailer and all her friends were still up by the arena. Um, but you know, she wasn't bad, and she's actually much better behaved than Nadia. So. <laughs> so i was very very proud of her and i'm glad i sucked it up and braved the wind and the chilly weather and all of that well good girl i i didn't add for my fix it to us same basic idea you know we left home and it was kind of nice and we got to the showgrounds and there was this unremitting wind it was 15 degrees colder we were outside um the horses in the pastures were running i swung my leg over and tiger just like left the mounting block and I thought, okay, now I die. And as soon as he, as soon as he went to work, he was perfect. So, yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's something to be said for people trying because sometimes frequently our horses surprise us, huh? And and they step up to the plate in ways that we don't expect. And they, yeah, the things that we're worried about are not the things that we need to be worried about after all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's other things. <laughs> it's other things. Yeah. But we were on, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> so well, congratulations to well, you and Lily. You. And now you have a beautiful blue ribbon to hang by. I, I, I do. I do. So yes. And, and it is, I was very, very proud of her. Are you going to do more? Yes. Yes. Actually, there's another same play, the same place. There's another schooling show in April that I think we're going, we're going to try training level. So we're going to, we're going to see, we're going to see if we can canter. Plus by April, it'll be hot in uh, Florida. So, (laughs) so yes, we're going to do it again. Well, congratulations. Thank you. 
Today's Ask the L comes from Amy. And this question is not entirely a question, and it covers a lot of ground. Uh, She wants to better understand how skill sets differ for judging, teaching, writing, and training. And you do all of those, Aviva, so... (laughs) What say you? Well, that's that's very astute of of Amy to realize that they are different skill sets. Um, So, you know, a lot of people talk about these incredibly talented riders that they're they're naturally gifted and they're beautiful on a horse and they're just lovely. And they're so excited to go take a lesson and they go to take a lesson and they're so disappointed because this beautiful, talented, natural rider has no idea what he or she is doing because it all comes naturally. Um, And and they're unable to articulate what it is that the student needs to do. So riding is a particular skill set. And there are different kinds of riding. There's the ability to ride um, a green horse and to explain things to a green horse so that it makes sense. And so that the green horse feels confident and secure to make to make the attempt to work. Um, There's riding a horse that's already trained and being able to figure out the buttons because, you know, as, as I've talked a lot about with tiger, tiger came with a whole lot of buttons, but they're not necessarily my buttons. Yeah. Um, So learning to communicate with a horse that already has skills um, is another kind of skill set. But then being able to articulate, what you what you need to do to make the horse better, what you need to do as a rider biomechanically to be better is something that's completely different. Right. Um, and I think that I used to ride with with somebody who was one of the most naturally gifted riders in the world. And he was a terrible instructor. He had a <laughs> fabulous eye. He knew what was going on. Yeah. But I remember I had a lesson with him once and he just started yelling at me, you know, your butt doesn't want what I want your butt to want in the saddle. <laughs> and, you know, that's true, but that wasn't very helpful right. um, because I didn't know what my butt was supposed to be wanting. Um, so, you know, riding is a skill set, being able to articulate what you need to feel and what you need to do to feel that is something else. Yeah. Um, being a judge and being able to see in a split second what's happening mm-hmm. and be able to immediately articulate what I call the fatal flaw, you know, because there's so much involved, even in an intro level test. You know, in an intro level test, is the horse going freely forward? Is the horse coming over its top line? Is the horse pushing from behind? Is the horse, you know, um, straight? Is the horse balanced? Is the horse reaching for the connection? Is the horse showing bend? Is, you know, all of those things. So you watch a horse come down center line. And what is it that you're seeing when the horse is crooked? And being able to articulate, is the horse crooked because the rider is crooked? Right. Is the horse crooked because the rider has an uneven connection on the reins? Is the horse crooked because the horse is naturally moving crooked? Is the horse crooked because they're so badly on the forehand? (laughs) 
that they can't, their hind legs have nowhere to go. Yeah. So, you know, that's a different skill set. And and the, the hard thing for me about judging is that we're not teaching. We are simply mirroring what we see. Right. And we're yeah. articulating this part was good, but this part needs work. Yeah. And not this is how you fix it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of really good instructors have a hard time judging because yes. it's hard to wear different hats. Yes. Yeah, I've heard that many times from from instructors who are either also judges or will never be judges. And that's yeah. why they're like, I I couldn't sit there quietly and not <laughs> try to help out. Yeah. And the, and the problem is that there are judges that do try to help out. And, you know, yes, there are classical dressage principles, but there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. And it's very um, it it's incorrect for me to tell you how to ride something unless I know you and know the school of training that you come from. Right. So you do have to keep your mouth shut. So that's, yeah. that's, you know, that's another skill set. Um, so, so judging requires a quick eye and the ability to articulate in the moment. Mm-hmm. Instructing requires a quick eye um but the ability to tease out what's the rider what's the horse and of course right. it's always the rider but yeah um, but <laughs> but yeah i mean it's the rider bettering the horse i mean the, yeah. the the goal of riding is to make it so that the horse is able to do things easily and the way that you make things easy for the horse is that the rider does it well Right. You know, does it in balance? Does it with a a, a a comprehensive aid that makes sense to the horse? So for the instructor, they need to be able to read the horse's reaction. And where the horse needs help, you know, are they weak in the right hind? Um, are they a little twisted in the pole because they're weak here? You know, are they tight on one side, weak on the, you know, all of those things, they need to be able to read the horse, but they also need to be able to read the rider and to tease out with the rider, you know, is the rider hanging backwards on the reins because they don't have balance or is the rider hauling backwards on the reins because they're afraid or is the rider hauling backwards on the reins because they're trying to find connection and they don't understand how to push the horse forward into the connection and then explaining it to the rider in a way that makes sense, right? You know, and and enables you know, and and it's so interesting. I'll have my trainer come and teach my students, and I know my students. You know, I teach them regularly, and I yeah. know them, and I know their horses. And you know, Cheryl comes and she starts teaching, and she addresses something different. And there's this immediate feeling of no, 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 that's not the issue. <laughs> and then it's you know, Viva, shut up. Let's get another yeah, set uh-huh. of eyes. Uh-huh. And you know, we have different priorities, and we also have different ways of attacking things. And that's right. why it's so wonderful to have fresh eyes, because I know that this is what the issue is. But I'm trying to fix it this way. And Cheryl comes, and she doesn't have the history, so she says, "I'm going to fix it this way." Yeah. And because she's a new set of of lungs, you know, mm-hmm. riders listen and try. Mm-hmm. And suddenly there's a light bulb moment. Yeah. So that's an instructor skill. Um, trainer skills, again, it's it's being a rider, being a skillful rider and being able to feel what your horse is doing and why your horse is doing 
what he or she is doing? Are are they doing it because they lack balance? Are they doing it because they lack strength? Are they doing it because they don't understand what you're asking? Um, are they doing it because they're afraid? Um, is there a history of something that's going on that they're reacting to? You know, horses have remembered pain. They have remembered fear. Yeah. You know, are you dealing with that? Um, it, you know, so the trainer skill is yet another skill set. So, you know, there are people who have the rider skill, the trainer skill, the instructor skill, and the judge skill. But most people can't do all four of those things. You know, when you when you go to look for um, a trainer who's going to be riding your horse and training you, you want to find somebody who not only has the skill set to train your horse, but can also interpret for you what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and help you become a good rider. And just because they can ride your horse doesn't mean they can help you ride your horse. Yeah. So you have to explore that. If you're not going to have your trainer ride your horse and you just are really looking for an instructor, go watch them teach and see if what they say makes sense. Um, you know, it's it's so funny when you watch people teach. And I, I had a I had a, a, a mare who was really funny about connection. And um, there was one lesson that I had and my I had been riding with my with my instructor for a while and I had on videotape and I was showing it to somebody and she says to me, stir the baby birds. Which made perfect sense to me because I knew what she was trying to tell me and my friend watched this and she was like, what does that mean? Stir the baby birds? Are you making stew? You know, (laughs) and yet what she was telling me was hold the rain softly but keep the rain alive for this particular horse. Yeah. So when you, when you watch an instructor, you also have to know what the history is for the horse and rider with this particular person, because sometimes we say really weird things. (laughs) Um, And also knowing not to take things out of context. Um, I had a very interesting experience last week. I was teaching one of my regular students, her horses and sound right now. And a friend of ours offered her Grand Prix horse for a lesson and um, what an incredible opportunity. And at one point I said to the rider, I want you to bring your elbows behind your back. And later on, I was talking to the owner of the horse and I said, I hope I didn't say anything that you felt was not in your horse's best interest. Yeah. And she said, well, you know, when you told her to put her elbows behind her back, And I said, yeah, you know, I really don't want her to ride with her elbows behind her back. But you see how far in front of her she holds her arms. So when I said, bring your elbows behind your back, she actually brought her elbows back to her body. Yeah. And she said, oh, okay. I just don't want you to have her riding backwards like that. And I said, yeah. So that's another thing is being able to, you know, you need an instructor who is able to communicate something that may be the wrong thing, but that gets you to do the right thing. Right. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So that was a really long winded answer, (laughs) you know, but but yeah. So there there are lots of different things. And, you know, depending on what you're looking for, look for different skills. Yeah. And, you know, we're all we're all smart, smart cookies. Right. So if you go and you take lessons and it doesn't work for you and your horse, it doesn't mean that that instructor is a bad instructor. That one doesn't work for you and your horse. Right. Try somebody else. You know, if you go and you ride for a judge and you don't feel like you're getting the feedback that you need, that you're you're not understanding what it is that they're seeing, it's not that they're a bad judge. 
go find a different judge to ride for him. Right. Because, you know, the reality is this is a really, really subjective sport, no matter how much we try to objectify it. There are so many different ways. So great, great thing, Amy. Thank you for, thank you for addressing that. And I, and I hope that our, our listeners think about that when they're looking for instructors and trainers and planning out their show schedule and thinking about, you know, who their judges are going to be because, you know, we all have biases and, and it does make a difference. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much the bottom line is that whatever it is you're looking for, take your time and do some research and go watch whatever you can go watch. And yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, do your due diligence a little bit. Mm-hmm. And there's no sin in trying it and not doing it again. I have right. ridden with people and decided that, it, you know, some of the most beautiful riders in the world and other people thought they were the most fabulous instructors in the world and they didn't make sense to me. Right. Um, And that's about me. You know, that's not about them. It's about me. I wasn't able to understand that wasn't the way that I learned. And that's okay. Exactly. Exactly. And if anyone out there has a question or topic of conversation <laughs> that uh, that they would like Aviva to address, please reach out to us on our social media channels. And when we return, we will have our conversation with Ellie Brimmer. Did you know that 90% of all laminitis cases are caused by excess insulin production? What if we told you that you can find out your horse's insulin level and laminitis risk in a matter of minutes? There's a new tool in the fight against laminitis, Wellness Ready. Wellness Ready is the first and only stall side blood test that allows you to instantly determine a horse's risk for laminitis. No more waiting a week for lab results. Wellness Ready delivers an accurate, real-time insulin reading in minutes. This potentially life-saving tool allows veterinarians to identify and manage horses prone to founder due to underlying endocrine disorders such as equine metabolic syndrome and equine's Cushing's disease. Join the fight against laminitis and talk to your vet about the Wellness Ready stall side insulin test. It can save time, money, and potentially a life. This is wellnessready.com for more information. Ellie Brimmer grew up in Minnesota, but has called Wellington, Florida home for almost 10 years. She is from a long line of equestrians and competed in hunters through college before making the switch to dressage. As a para-dressage rider, she was long-listed for the 2012 Paralympic team and is a current USEF para-dressage development athlete representative. She has been a spokesperson for athletes with disabilities her entire life. Ellie has traveled the world not only as an athlete, but as a volunteer and supporter of para-dressage. She has advocated for the Paralympic discipline, helping trainers, riders, and others understand the parallels of paradressage and a dressage as a high-level performance sport. Ellie is on the board of the U.S. Para Equestrian Association, and in January of this year, was named to the United States Equestrian Federation's Board of Directors. Ellie, I would like to thank you for taking some time out of your schedule and joining us to talk to us today. 
Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to do this. Yeah. So we'll just jump right in. You are a paradressage rider. And could you tell us a little bit about paradressage and how it's similar and how it's different to traditional dressage? Yes. Okay. So paradressage, um, para comes from parallel, not paralyzed, as some people think. Yeah. So it is a parallel discipline to dressage. So um, we are all people with measurable physical disabilities and we compete um, kind of according to different grades we're classified into depending on the level of your disability. And so we are working on, we want to have the same movements and the same self-carriage as able-bodied dressage, just with um, some slightly more simplistic movements, but in some ways that's more challenging because yeah. we have nowhere to hide. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's true. That is mm-hmm. true. <laughs> yep. uh, um, and there are probably, there are quite possibly people out there that don't understand the difference between the Paralympics and the Special Olympics. Could you kind of explain the difference between those two? Uh-huh, yeah, both are really excellent organizations, um, but the Paralympics is focused on physical disabilities. It's governed by the same standards as the Olympics and held at the same venues under the same rules. Right. Um, you know, Special O, um, I never did um, therapeutic riding, so I'm not as familiar with it, but it has a mm-hmm. stronger focus on intellectual disabilities and works with a, ride, a wider variety of disability categories and is accessible to more athletes and they yeah. have more opportunities to compete. So both great organizations, but um, Paralympics is a little bit more of an elite level sport. Right. And so then how did you get involved in the whole paradressage? Okay. So I grew up in a hunter jumper family. Uh, my mom still competes in jumpers. She's down here at WEF right now. <laughs> um, and I, have cerebral palsy. So I was born with my disability. And, you know, after college, you know, I could only really compete like the two six hunters. And I got kind of tired of falling off every time I missed a distance. Yeah, I love horses and I love to compete. So I'm like, okay, I got to find something where I can actually be a little bit successful. And I switched to dressage and then through starting to ride dressage, I found out about paradressage and it took off from there. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how you qualify to be a para rider? Yes. Um, so the thing is, you have to, because we compete at such a high level, you have to have a documentable, measurable physical disability that affects your riding. Okay. So, you know, you could have a disability where you can't raise your arms above your head. That is a disability, but it's not going to affect your riding at all, hopefully. Okay. Your hands really shouldn't be above your head if you're riding, but you know, some people. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so you have to submit medical paperwork to the FEI. And then if you're getting your FEI classification, you go to a CPEDI and you meet with the, with the classifiers, one national and international, and they give you, um, they give you different tests. Like for me with cerebral palsy, they test me on strength and coordination. Um, you know, forgive the bad pun, but if you are a amputee, that's a more clear cut situation. Uh, <laughs> okay. 
Um, so and then you're evaluated and you're put, you're given a profile based on your scores and each profile belongs to a different grade. Okay. So, um, and then you're, you have a test that's appropriate for your physical disability level. It has nothing to do with your riding skills. You right. could be, you know, able to ride a Grand Prix test, but if you're classified as a two, you're going to ride the two tests. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the different classifications and what they mean and how disabled people are in each each one? Yeah, um, well, you know, it ranges from grade one to grade five. One is considered the most level of disability. Um, it can be things like take Roxanne Trunnell. She had mm -hmm. um, complications from a TBI from illness. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so she, they're considered the most kind of unsteady. So their tests are walk only, um, the grade five would be, um, like somebody like my friend Katie Jackson, she's a single missing limb, yeah. she's missing her leg. And then like me, I was a three and I recently got reclassified to a two cerebral palsy. There's kind of a lot of stuff going on there because, yeah of the strength and coordination and you know it changes as you age ever so mm -hmm. slightly so that's why i was reclassified so i'm a two the big difference we consider like the three one two and three those are considered quote unquote the low grades um okay. which you're allowed to have your trainer ride your horse at the show for 30 minutes mm -hmm. 15 before your test and those are the walk trot and walk grades and the big difference between being in the lower grades or being the four and five grades where you can or and you do everything yourself um, is your hip mobility. So um, if you have limited hip mobility, you're probably going to be a three or lower. But if your hip mobility is fairly good, you're going to be a four or a five. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I've never understood what the what the difference was. I've been fortunate that I've been able to judge both for Special Olympics and also at Wheatland Farm, which is a mm -hmm. center of excellence for Kara. Yep, um, really well. Yeah, I, I figured you did. I was fascinated, um, mostly by the courage of the riders. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know what the classification, where the classifications came yeah, from. So, you know, it's tricky because you can't say like this, this disability is going to go into this grade. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, they could have other outlying influences. And yeah. Like that. So it's, it's not always a strict thing. Yeah. But and like you said, it can change with time too. Mm -hmm. So certain people like their disabilities are, if they're ones like an MS that is more progressive, they might be yeah. placed under review. So right. like every, you know, three or four years, the classifiers say, okay, let's take a look at you again and mm. see where you're at. Okay. So can an athlete you, request it as well? If they feel you as can. Well? you okay. can request a review. Okay. Um, so if you feel like your disability has changed where you're, you're no longer feel like you're in the right spot and you can request that. And also the classifiers at the CPDIs are there and they observe people like mm -hmm. a couple of years back when I got reclassified to a three, they pulled me aside and said, you need to submit for review again because we noticed you're moving from your lower back and you're not moving from your hip. So. Mm. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. Wow. So what does it, what does it take to be a good para horse? You know, that is tricky because it really depends on the disability. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, obviously, um, I'm very weak in my left side. Um, so I like a horse um, that is actually very forward. 
because okay. if they get crooked and behind my leg, there's nothing I can do to fix it. I don't have to yeah. swipe. Right. So they have to go forward on their own, have their own engine, but also have a very good temperament. Yeah. Be sensible so they don't kill me as they go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's what I look for. I also, you know, the horse has to be like naturally uphill because I have some, you know, coordination issues with my hands and strength. I want a horse that my horse is actually, you know, very strong in the bridle. And sure, there's some days I'd like her to be a little lighter, but I don't mind that because I can take a feel of her and she doesn't get offended. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, but it's really individual to each rider because, you know, sometimes people from outside the Perdersash community be like, oh, no, I need something super slow and super safe. And right. yes, we need something very safe. But a lot of times, like, if you don't have the physical strength, it can be a real struggle with a horse that is a kick ride. When you don't right. Like with. That makes sense. Yeah. Or or somebody mm-hmm. who has spasms who's very tight, um, a horse that that doesn't overreact to that in the saddle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I about that. I actually was am astounded at just the amazing quality of the horses, you know, at the, at the elite level and, you know, and yet how, yeah. And how good they have to be temperament wise, like you said, yeah. you know, to, to tolerate the, differences you know that not you know super sensitive horses will always tolerate mm-hmm. yeah. it's really so, like finding the right horse is really yeah tough. i um, yeah i mean it's it's hard in in any situation but you add a couple more levels of you know needs to that and that makes it i can imagine even harder well, plus the electric atmosphere of international yeah. competition and a horse that can deal with that, but still yeah. be it's, safe enough yeah. for somebody with right. balance issues to stay on. Because as okay. you said, we don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. What's kind of fun is like the grade threes and lowers, you're allowed to have what's called a friendly horse at the arena. So you can have oh. a horse that kind of stands behind right. a or right. a kind of, and so they're they so when you go in that big stadium, they have a friend with them, friend. So an emotional support horse. <laughs> so they're not completely alone. But some horses, you have to be kind of careful with it because some horses get more distracted by it. Right. Like, oh no, what is my friend doing? Yeah, so yeah, definitely. Something you want to try at the Paralympics? You want to try? Yeah, works first. What made you decide to to pursue this at such an an elite level? That's so intimidating. Oh, you know, I just thought that, um, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term, but, you know, growing up with a disability, you always get a certain level of uh, what we like to call um, inspiration horn. There's yeah. a great TED talk on it and where, you know, you feel like, and this is a situation um, when you compete at elite level like this, where you're not getting any of that. You're really, you know, getting judged for where you're at in that moment. And um, there's something that's very refreshing and it can be frustrating, but it's also enjoyable. And um, I also like, you know, being in this community where we're all dealing with um, with physical issues and have that same drive and are trying to work on that same level. It's really enjoying to be enjoyable to be with a tribe of like-minded people Mm. i would imagine there might be a little bit more of a sense of community and a little bit less um drama with this group it's horse people so you can (laughs) find drama but it is like 
we are very, you know, we're a small self-selecting group. So we see each right. other everywhere and we do really enjoy each other's company. Yeah. 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 So how have you seen paradressage evolve since you got involved? I well, guess we over the past it. 10 years or so. Yeah, we touched on it a little bit, but the quality yeah. of the horses has just skyrocketed. Yeah. This is the main thing. And the riding has gotten better because, you know, people really want to be competitive and they they understand like how serious this is. And, you know, especially um, you know, it's got it's getting better in the US and in Europe they're they're really all over it. And um so we're we're out there and we're trying to, you know, compete like with the same horses that able bodied has and wants. And so that's been the main thing. It's just, yeah. it's gone to such a high level, which is fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit about the horse you're riding now? Yes. Um, ready for this? Um, <laughs> her name is Langanger's Crack. I love it. Oh my. <laughs> By that's Crack. quite a name. I know. I just bought her this summer in Denmark and we kind of heard the name and we were like, oh no, but we just kept laughing. <laughs> what do you call her? Cracky. Okay. <laughs> or Kraken. <laughs> We're cracked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she's 17 hand um, and I'm wow. five foot tall for reference. Oh wow. my. Chestnut, Danish warm blood mare. And she is just so sweet. And such a good trier. And um, I'm really kind of enjoying developing my relationship with her. Yeah. So you well, just bought her. Chestnut this- mares are my favorites. I just have to, <laughs> I have to say that. So yay you. <laughs> so you just got her this summer. How did you find her? Um, so I went with my, my trainer is Andrea Woodard, who um, also coaches Roxanne Trunnell. Okay. Um, and we went to, did a trip to Denmark and Germany. And again, speaking on you know the difficulty of finding a horse at this level you know with a good budget not unlimited blank check money but good we looked at 25 horses and there was maybe you know two i would have written checks for yeah you know and so she was the top one and she's actually with andrea's ex-boyfriend which was handy because uh (laughs) we knew kind of what the training program was and stuff like that so we had a good history on her, which was nice. Um, yeah, I would think that would be important, especially, yeah. or or at least very helpful. It is, for sure. And, you know, I find, um, particularly looking at horses in Denmark and Germany, because they have such a strong training program there of how yeah. they train their horses. Yeah. Like, because my aides are a little different, they've been trained in such a strong way that they understand, like, okay, if I can get kind of close to the aid, like, this is this is what she wants, and they're pretty good with it. Okay. <laughs> That's good. That's helpful. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that is. What kind of modifications do you use in your riding, or do you use any? You know, um, it really depends on the horse. Um, so I, I use magnetic stirrups. Um, so that helps me because I can't put a lot of weight in that left foot. Okay. So that helps me not have to worry about constantly losing my stirrups. Um, and I use, um, you know, salute with head only. So you don't have to take your hands off the reins, mm-hmm. which I'm sure um, able-bodied riders would like to do. For <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, we are allowed, I could carry, you know, one to two whips. Um this horse is very sensitive, so I don't carry any whip. Um, we had been doing her in a 
double bridle with a converter rein because it's easier for me to hold one rein. But mm-hmm. recently we switched back to two just to kind of give it a little more adjustability in the bridle. And because, like I said, she's a little strong in the in the bridle and can mm-hmm. doesn't get offended. I can play with those reins a little bit more. Um, I'm going to because I recently dropped grades and this grade two test has a lot more transitions and because it's a little more simplistic, those are scored even more. So I'm working on getting a saddle with a hard handhold in front actually. So I can Mm -hmm. make sure I have a little more support in my body in those transitions Mm -hmm. just to make things a little easier. Yeah. But um, there's, you know, each grade you're allowed, and I used to use my voice too, which is nice. Threes and lowers can use your voice within reason. <laughs> no, um, no cursing at your horse when you miss yeah. something. I take it <laughs> exactly. Um, it, but all of those things have to be clear oh, for true. use, right? Yeah, so yeah. It's like it's a, it's called a compensating aid, so it's not designed to give you any kind of advantage, but compensating right. for the disability that you right. have. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's, it's all, not going to be a fix all. <laughs> no, and it's it's all designed to be very safe as well. Right. Um, you know, because we want like if there is an issue, like we have restrictions on the Velcro is how much Velcro you mm. can use and things like that for the riders that are paralyzed. And so if something does happen, they're able to break free from the horse. The magnetic right. stirrups I use, or some people rubber band their foot to the stirrup, those are going to break free. So right. you're safe. Because safety really is the number one priority. I am so glad that you said that. When I was judging at Wheatland, one of the riders had her her feet Velcroed to the stirrups and the stirrups were Velcroed to the girth. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can't see the Velcro. I just knew that she was attached. So I was worried about breaking free if god forbid something happens mm-hmm. so thank you that makes me feel better I mean, not that i would think wheatland would do anything to put somebody no, in jeopardy no, but, but, um, but like you have to submit your if it's a non-standard aid you have to submit it and to the mm-hmm. fei and then it goes through committee and you and they approve it or disapprove it and then there's a set of what we call standard aids that everybody's allowed to use and then there's another set of profile specific aids and uh, those are given to the judge, them. right, at the yeah, show. Those so are that submitted they, to the judge. Yeah. And the, the TDs also get a copy as well. Mm, okay. So they're like, hey, that person has two whips. They're like, oh, they're allowed to have two whips. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you have um, aspirations of getting back to or getting to the uh, Paralympics? You know, I do. But like, you know, my kind of rule of thumb for myself is like, you can't make yourself crazy trying to make a team. Like can't can't right. drag yourself into debt. There's always going to be someone who can either outride you or outspend you. Um, and I'm sure you know able-bodied people submit that as, um, you know, let me let me go back and explain it. So, um, able-bodied people experience that as well. So yeah, you have yeah. To, I love to I love to compete, but you have to do it within your means. Like right. I, I don't really have a magic sponsorship fairy. Um, yeah. So I just, you know, I do what I can and I want to be in the mix. I would love to be on the team. And if it happens, it happens. Right. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So. Right. Gotcha. Um, that's that's a good outlook. Are there sponsorship opportunities out there? Are there, are there people that are doing, that are pouring money into this the way they well, do into traditional we, dressage? We are getting, we do have some riders that have some wonderful sponsors. We would always 
you know, like to have more. I, I keep joking that we need to, you know, work with Hunter Jumper set and make it a cache item for them to sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> course, because it's probably a lot cheaper than sponsoring a jumper. And, yeah. uh, and yeah. then you still get to go to the same venues. Like the Paralympics are going to be in Versailles. Right. You know? I know. So, um, yeah. so we're always looking for more opportunities and, you know, and, uh, people to help out, you know, um, United States Paraquestrian Association, which I'm on the board of as a secretary, we have um, several grants that we're funding. And, you know, we're always, if people aren't looking to support an individual, they can support um, those kinds of things as well. Okay. Are there ways that, that ordinary people like, like me can, can yeah, be you know, if, you know, if you want, it's like we were at dressage shows, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you can volunteer at a dressage show. Um, you know, we can always use, um, you know, if somebody wants to, if you know somebody's going to be riding in the short arena, the grade ones through three ride in the 20 by 40 arena, you know, ask the show manager if you need somebody to help reset the ring, like that kind of thing. Um, you know, trainers can take on a pair of student, you know, judges, if they want to get more judges education and see if they can go to a CPDI and, um, you know, and sit in the box so they can mm-hmm. learn a little bit more things yeah. like that. Okay. Well, so shifting gears just a little bit, mm-hmm. um, in January, you were elected to the USEF's board of directors as an mm-hmm. athlete representative. Could you tell us more about that and what that is? Yeah, um, with the merger of the Olympic and Paralympic committees, um, USCF needed to add an active a- a para-athlete to the board mm-hmm. to be in compliance. And um, I was voted by my peers into that role, um, something that I'm really humbled by. Yeah. And um, I was an able honor. to t- attend my first annual meeting in January. Um, and that was, you know, that was so great because, you know, sometimes we get stuck in our little bubble of this is our <laughs> discipline. And it was so nice to meet people from like the breed disciplines and everything else. So um, we can, you know, it was so nice to have a seat at the table and to be able to interact with all of everyone. Yeah. So what, I mean, obviously you're just getting started um, yeah. with it, but what do you hope to be able to bring to the role? Um, I really hope to, um, you know, to be able to, like I said, it, we got to be able to interact with so many different people. And um, I hope to be able to give people who might not have an understanding of para-athletics a chance to think about how they can provide um, safe accommodations in their sport to be more inclusive. Mm. Um, so we can bring more people to the horse sport because right. we all love it and want to advocate <laughs> for it. Yeah. Well, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's no small, that's no small feat. Um, And my last question is one that, that um, I want to kind of ask people just to, to find out what they're reading and what, Mm -hmm. um, and maybe start a book list, but do you have a favorite horse book? It could be fiction or nonfiction or something that just you really liked. Um, I was excited by this question because I do love to read. <laughs> okay. and, um, I would say like, I'm going to, I live in Wellington, right? So I'm going to give you right. two kind of beach reads. <laughs> um, my, uh, 
you know, growing up, um, I would visit my grandparents, um, who are big horse people, and I would read a lot of Dick Francis. So I yeah, would suggest yeah. um, Dead Cert by Dick Francis, which was actually yeah. his first novel. And it's one of my favorites. And then the, the True Beach read, um, I would suggest Riders by Jilly Cooper. Oh, I've read both of these. They're great. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I, I was introduced to it in college and it's like super fun, soapy romance. Oh. Yes. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. I I read lots and lots of Dick Francis. My mother loved loved him as well, and I read lots of that when I was younger. But no, this one I'm this one I'm I'm not familiar with. So oh, it's a whole series. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it's a whole series. So uh, I'll have to check that out. Highly entertaining. Okay, good. Well, you know, we I, I need that. <laughs> but yes, I, I hope to compile an entire book list now. This is this is my way of doing it. Things things to read oh, <laughs> in my cool. spare time. I know, we always have a pile. <laughs> right, exactly. Um so those are those are excellent, excellent choices. Well, you know, this has been an enlightening and educational conversation. I learned some things. Did you learn, Aviva? Did you? Oh, learn I learned anything? so much, and yeah. I'm kind of excited for when we turn the recording off to keep talking with Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me, and um, I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, we will. We'll probably check back in with you maybe later and and see how everything's going with with um, and see what kind of advances you're making in the paradressage world. Excellent. I'd love okay. to come back. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. If you've missed any episodes or to subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com, or you can visit our subscription video site, ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Happy riding, and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.